In this episode, you're going to hear all about the CTO Mentor Program, a professional learning experience for current and aspiring tech leaders. Tuda and I are going to chat with some of the site all-stars, and they share the program's purpose, how and why to apply. And if you've already been through the program, get ready to listen and nod your head a lot as Julie and I share some of our favorite memories. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Insight Podcast. I'm Jamie Lou Satter, and Shane is out on vacation this week. So filling in, we have Tuda, and she's moving from her producer role to co-host. I'm so happy you're here with us. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be here again. In this episode, we have some all-stars that I get the honor of working with from the site team to share about the CTO Mentor Program. I'd like to welcome Julie Judd, Laurel Nava, and Andrea Bennett. Thank you for joining us today. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having us. And in keeping with our episode traditions, let's open up with a quick game. So this is either or, and I'm going to ask you a couple questions. We'll all take turns answering and just go with your gut response. And you get to explain a little bit about yourself and we'll learn about you some more. So up first, Laurel, Northern California or Southern California? Central California, uh, specifically Santa Cruz, Monterey, Big Sur. Excellent. Julie, what about you? Is this where I live or where I want to be? However you want to interpret it. I prefer NorCal. Any reasons why? Uh-huh. It's not as hot. <laughs> what? <laughs> Come to Sacramento. <laughs> I'm talking NorCal. <laughs> Andrea, what about you? Well, I guess I'd have to say as the executive director for a statewide organization, I like the whole state. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> Tuda. I'm going to disagree. I don't like the whole state. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love California so much, but I'm definitely SoCal. NorCal still kind of a mystery to me, despite how much time I've been spending up there. But yeah, SoCal forever. Yeah, me too. I grew up in San Diego and Los Angeles, but it is fun to venture up north for site conferences and other... I guess maybe that's central. I don't even know what NorCal is. <laughs> Same. Everything above, <laughs> above Bakersfield is like question marks to me. <laughs> All right. Next up, Tudor, you can start this one. Dinner at home or dinner out? I like to cook, but I don't like the prep and cleanup. So dinner out. Nice. Andrea? Dinner out, for sure. Laurel? Definitely dinner out. And Julie? I love that I am the outlier here because I prefer to prepare my own food at home and avoid the unnecessary caloric intake. Nice. I love cooking. I love making something at home. But if it's sushi, that's a whole nother story. Sure. Yeah, there have to be exceptions. <laughs> all right. And our final one. I'd love to know how many internet accessible devices you all are carrying. Tuda? Oh, man. If just on a typical um, day, what do you have with you? I have at least two because I have my work phone and my personal cell phone. And then when I'm traveling, I have four because I have my laptop and then an iPad as well. I know it's a bit excessive, but each serves a different purpose. So (laughs) Nice. Julie, what about you? On any given day, you will find me connected to one, two, three, four, five, six devices. I was expecting Laurel to be the one because after I saw her two phone action at uh, the CTO mentor program last weekend. And I'm very proud of the fact that it is not one platform. I have Android, Apple, and PC. With you usually at all times? I use every day. That's amazing. Andrea, what about you? 
I would say two to three, depending, not two to, but two, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a fun episode. <laughs> Laura, what about you? Three, work phone, home phone, and my laptop. Yeah, I think I'm usually around. I mean, laptop is with me at all times, phone, and Apple Watch. I have cell connection on that. Just yeah. Oh, I have that too. Inspector Gadget. Yeah. So the add one. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. (laughs) I just don't even think about it because I never answer from my watch. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's one of my favorite things. I love, I love answering on my watch, but I have to alert people like you're on my watch. I'm just laughing because I just have never answered a phone from my watch and I'm wondering what that means. (laughs) (laughs) That's a test to get to the next segment of the show. So Laurel, it was nice having you. Thanks for joining. And... (laughs) We'll see you next time. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Well, thank you everyone so much. It was really nice to kind of learn some fun things about you that don't normally come up in everyday conversation. So today, for myself as a beneficiary of the CTO Mentor Program, I'm really excited to talk with all of you. And we're going to open the conversation, learning a little bit about your current role with Site and a project that you're engaged with. So Andrea, can we start with you? Sure. I am the executive director for SITE. And these days, a lot of the projects that I'm involved in have to do with actually just running the organization. And I have a great staff that, that does all the projects. So I just, I stand back and let them do what they need to do. Thank you. And I think it's been really fun to watch the growth of SITE over time and bringing more staff on. And it's been really great to see the growth there. Laura, what about you? I'm the director of education and partnerships with SITE. And I I'm overseeing the annual conference right now where we're going to be in person returning from the 2019 last in-person conference in Anaheim. And I'm also working on expanding our education programs as well. Thanks. Julie, what about you? I'm currently the chief technology officer for the Ventura County Office of Education and the conductor for the Ventura County Concert Band, but that's just other duties as assigned. Projects I'm working on, I have many. And I would hate to bore the audience with the variety of infrastructure, application, and device projects that we are currently in process. So nice having you all here today. And I think we'll learn, Julie, specifically about some of your history and work with SITE through our conversation. And and I think for me also just sharing is the impact that the CTO Mentor Program has had on me. Jamie, did you want to share a project? So current project in my world right now is getting ready for the school year. I just met with our kind of lead instructional specialist thinking about how do we come back better after this pandemic? What do we what do we think about that we're going to capitalize on? And I'm really interested in blending a little bit more of the SEL work, so social emotional learning into the opening of the year activities and how can technology support that? So that's one of the things we're thinking through right now. That's really awesome, Jamie. Not just for kids either, right? For the adults? No, actually, I want to advocate for us to get access to a therapist for our staff for next year, because I think we're all going to go through different moments of kind of reconciliation of everything that has happened. And I'm starting to really think that our adult staff need extra attention as we start to move through the year. I really applaud you for thinking along those lines as I look at my staff alone as we dovetail into this next year, even though we're not really done with the last two. And they're all all a little shell-shocked, you know, they're exhausted. And I think there's a lot of emotion running pretty close to underneath the skin. 
and recognize yeah. that I think is going to be a huge part of moving forward in the next year successfully. So mm-hmm. bravo to you for that. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you all for sharing a project with us. Let's open with learning what the CTO Mentor Program is and the goals. So what is the CTO Mentor Program and why was it created? Laurel, let's start with you because this is your wheelhouse. So, <laughs> It actually stretches back to the early 90s with the first school districts that were going bankrupt. And AB 1200 was passed, which created the Fiscal Crisis Management and Assistance Team. And as FICMAD began supporting those school districts that were in fiscal distress, they realized that chief business officials needed a program to help train them in how to actually operate a school district's financial side. A lot of folks were coming from the private sector where accounting is done very differently. And so they established a training program and they were also doing additional fiscal analyses and studies of school districts. And overwhelmingly, over and over again, they kept seeing that technology kept coming up as a concern and it was actually affecting the bottom line for school districts. So they reached out to what was at the time California, well, I was going to say SEPA, (laughs) but it was actually SEDPA. And I already forgot what SEDPA meant, California Education Data Project. Processors Association. (laughs) I have that right? Okay. Um, They reached out to SEDPA at the time and said, can you help us support a program that would help train chief technology officers? And they haven't done that with other programs. They haven't done it with other job titles in cabinet. I think in part, because if you look back 30 years ago, there were probably very few CTOs in school districts, if any. And unlike other positions where, you know, since school districts have started, you always have somebody in charge of personnel, you have somebody in charge of education, you have somebody in charge of the money. Having somebody in charge of technology is a relatively new job title. And so that's part of our mission is to say that every school district needs a chief technology officer. And that position needs to be part of the district cabinet. Andrea, Julie, anything you want to add? Yeah, I'll say that this program is the reason I became the executive director for SITE, then SETPA, <laughs> because I was on the board of directors at the time, and we started talking with FICMAT about the program. They had at the time and still have the CBO mentor program, and they really thought that the mentoring piece was huge because there were so many you know, really learned IT leaders in the community and they had a lot of information to give. And so when, as we talked about it and everything started to kind of take shape, we understood as a board that we couldn't just do this as a volunteer board anymore. We needed to have somebody full-time working on this, working on improving the conference and, and everything else that we wanted to do at the time. And so I was really interested in doing that. So I resigned from the board and applied for the job. And even though I didn't have any experience with associations, the board had enough trust in me to give me the job. And that was 15 years ago. So this is, you know, a program that's very close to my heart because of that. And this program actually literally changed my life. I mean, it was a condition of employment and I was in the third cohort and I guess my former life, for those of you out there that don't know, is I was a middle school and high school band director and then got into IT simply when I moved to California because there was no network on our campus. That was in 1996. We had no computers and no network. So if that gets context to how new this gig is. (laughs) So anyway, 
joining this program and learning how to do my job turned on the switch to being very curious about leadership and how to become the best leader I could be. And this program ignited that. That's great. So this morning I was at a physical therapy appointment. I'm getting some work done on my shoulder and I was chatting with a therapist as she's like stretching and contorting my arm to try to get some rotation back in it. And I mentioned something, she said something about Amazon and wondering if other companies are going to get as big as that. And I started chatting about the last thing I ordered, which was a data encryption hard drive to back up RSIS and have kind of an air gap backup. And she started asking me questions about ransomware and cybersecurity and I was filling her all in. And then she's like, so what degree do you have? And she's like, where's your training? And I go, oh, so I'm a teacher. I have an English degree. She's like, where did you learn all of this? I'm like, well, I went through this program called the CTO Mentor Program. And while it focuses on leadership, it does spark your interest in all these other areas. And it was, I mean, it was amazing that I could carry on this conversation. She thought I had some formal degree in computer science. And it's like, shout out to the CTO Mentor Program because this is where it all started from. That's a great point because one of the things we're always telling incoming applicants is that this program is the equivalent of a master's degree. And we've even seen and heard of a couple jobs floating around that have asked for a master's or a certified CTO candidate. It's a lot of work. It's incredibly rewarding, as Julie said, but we do think that the level of work is equivalent to a master's program. Yeah, as a proud graduate of the 2015 cohort nine, I can attest to it is it is a lot of work, really good work, and and you make lifelong friends, so all worth it. And for me, when I got this gig and I started this class, every single assignment it was like built for me. I felt like, I mean, of course, I'm a little bit over the top with a growth mindset here, but I was able to turn every single assignment into a practical application to better my organization. I did not do one exercise in futility at all. It made me look like a rock star out of the gate. I mean, because I had this course of study that set me up for success. Yeah, Julie, that's a perfect segue because I wanted to get into like what sets this apart. So Laurel, you kind of touched on it's graduate level, like a master's degree. And I had the exact same experience where I was taking my coursework and bringing it back, using it in leadership retreat, or, I mean, I looked awesome with all the things that I learned and was able to immediately apply. But what else sets this program apart? And this is for Laurel and Andrea. And, you know, what will the candidates experience in the program? Well, I think just listening to the two of you talk about your experience in the program itself is what sets it apart. I think the the mentoring is a very key piece and the structure of the work that I think Laurel's going to talk about a little bit. I mean, every year we go through the curriculum and the curriculum changes sometimes mid-year because things are changing so quickly with technology in schools and, and technology leadership. And so the curriculum is the curricula is always very relevant. It's rigorous, so it's something that sticks with you. You think about what you've learned and you continue to learn. And then there's this community that develops both with your cohort and with once you graduate with other graduates that creates this support that's even stronger than the support that we have organization wide. It's a very specific experience that you get that stays with you years after you've graduated. And 
it just uh, helps the IT leader get through the day, frankly, and get through things like this pandemic and things like online testing and and lack of funding and all the things that, I mean, I, we could go on all day about all the issues that you guys face. So it's just a very special program in that the learning continues after you're done. It just keeps going. And it's very definitely a technology leadership program. Uh, we get some questions every year from folks who think that we're going to cover certain things in detail about being a heavy emphasis on the technology side, but really there's a heavier emphasis on the leadership side. We had a candidate a couple of weeks ago who we were talking in depth about network diagram, and she asked a great question, how much of this do I need to know? And it was, again, a good opportunity to talk about how you don't need to be a network engineer to be a chief technology officer, but you need to know enough to be able to make the right decisions as a technology leader. And know um, people on your team are not making the right decisions. Exactly. That's <laughs> exactly how to evaluate the work of your employees. Yeah. And the great thing, too, is the community that both Julie and Andrea mentioned. There, In every cohort, there are people who have strengths in different areas. And having that cohort and having that mentorship, we have a community of over 200 people and every group that graduates becomes part of this larger community and they can draw on them for those answers, especially within the cohort. And Jamie, I'm sure you've experienced this. If there's something that you've run up against and you haven't encountered, you're unsure, you know, you reach out to that group first and say, hey, who's seen this? Who's done this? How do I find my way through this? And if I may add to all of that, we get into this program what we put into. That old adage, you reap what you sow. This inspired me, and I realize I'm a little bit on the outlier side of things, but I left this program and I was so inspired to learn and grow that I started a doctoral program. And this doctoral program, first day, the guy goes, so you're either going to get a $65,000 doctorate or a million-dollar doctorate. And which one you get is up to you. No surprise, Julie got at least the student loans feel like a million dollars, but the return on my investment is huge. The return on my investment in the CTO mentor program is proven, if I may be so bold as to brag, proven through my dissertation study and proven through my work in that this program completely and utterly set me up for success. I'm a lifelong educator. So that third of the stool, I felt pretty comfortable with. The technology stuff, the leg was non-existent because I didn't really, I mean, it was like a nub compared to how long this, the leg of the stool needed to be. And the leadership became a passion of mine, right? So what's beautiful about this program, in my opinion, is we all enter this program with a strength of our prior knowledge. And every single person in the program has room to grow. There's not a single person who can be accepted into this program and will know everything there is to know. Because even if you think you know it all, there's always different perspectives from the different people in the cohort that help you think through a different lens. And that speaks to the community that Andrea alluded to. A lot of late night theoretical conversations and disagreements over philosophy because we're growing. It's just such a great, I mean, I can't say enough good things about this program. And yes, I'm biased, but 
Well, and I just like to piggyback on Julie's comments about always having something to learn because there are multiple examples. If you talk to graduates of that situation where they walked in feeling 100% confident, they were going to breeze right through it. They were just going to be there to help others get through the program because it was going to be so easy for them. And then they just became different people, you know, very humbled in a way, but also just more excitement about the community that they're working with and just understanding the state as a whole when it comes to K-12 education. So it's a great program. I think that's a good moment to kind of jump in on the instructor side and learn a little bit about how they're chosen and what they bring to the table. Because I think this, again, is another piece of the program that makes it so unique. Laurel, you want to tell us a little bit more about the instructors and what potential candidates could experience? We are unique in that I think we have a very active steering committee. The steering committee is made up of several different organizations, including FICMAT, still has members of there, as well as the California County Superintendent Educational Services Association, CSESA. CDE plays a part in that as well, and the site board of directors who ultimately oversees the program. And so we have representatives from there as well as a couple of alums every year. And part of the role of the steering committee is to examine the curriculum and make recommendations on what learning objectives need to change. Do some classes need to be lengthened? Do some need to be shortened? And we have multiple meetings where we discuss that every year and modify it. So Basically, we start always with our vision and mission. Um, It shows up on every steering committee agenda. And from there, we look at the curriculum. And beyond that, we decide, are there instructors that we should invite back to teach the same classes? Or do we need to look for new instructors based on these modifications to the curriculum? So we put out an application and that goes out amongst our larger listserv. It gets advertised on social media. And every instructor who applies has to complete an application, which includes a video of them teaching for a few minutes. And then the steering committee evaluates what they've shared against the newly revised curriculum before selecting instructors. So that's how we start. And then we also have added, like Andrea and Julie said, this is an evolving program. And so a couple of years ago, it was actually a suggestion of some of the mentors. They wanted to talk to the instructors more frequently. So we now actually have monthly meetings with the mentors and with the instructors. And those two meetings go back to back and they actually overlap in the middle so that the instructors can share what is coming, what they notice about the classes and the mentors can hear that and ask questions right away. And most of the instructors join those meetings every single month. And it also becomes an opportunity for them to develop themselves as an instructor community as well. And they also get an opportunity at the end of the year to meet all day where we talk about different details. We talk about additional revisions, what needs to be changed. So it's great to know that we have a really strong candidate community. We have a really strong mentor community. We also have a really strong instructor community that carries from year to year. Thanks. And yeah, and I think that goes back to Andrea's point about you come in with one mindset about what you think you know, and you're going to be an expert in that session. And I remember coming in, I was like, oh, I'm definitely an expert on the ed tech side. Like I know that module in and out and still learned a lot of things in that session. So I I just think the instructors that come in bring such a wide range of experience and put so much time into designing the modules and, and then in turn, the artifacts. So the work that the candidate has to kind of create based on their learning is always, as Julie mentioned earlier, so tied to the work we're doing every day, which is really nice. 
I would expand a little bit on that to just add that as being an instructor for the program now and having been on the steering committee and having had multiple roles as an instructor, even though Laura will probably go, no, um, <laughs> I spend, so for an eight hour class, I probably spent 25 to 30 hours in prep work and then probably not as much time or timely manner of feedback, but my class is such an organizational leadership and management. I've actually even started holding after parties, if you will, simply so that we can continue the conversation outside of the classroom. You know, you present this ton of information and it seeps in over time. And then a week or so later, you know, I have another opportunity, if you will, for people to reach out and ask questions and we can expand the conversation because they want to learn. And the steering committee is an amazing construct because plan, do, see, act, plan, do, see, act, plan, do, see, act. We walk our talk, you see. We build this academic program that is rigorous and we're modeling appropriate behavior, which I love. So not only are we giving direct instruction, but we're modeling what we should all be doing as we evaluate our program. You mentioned a keyword artifact, and we actually spend a lot of time explaining what an artifact is. Both Andrea and, and Julie, Jamie, you've all alluded to the rigor of the program. And one of the pieces that's rigorous is that for every single course that we have, and we'll usually have two courses in one weekend, we ask every candidate to do three kinds of writing. They have to do business writing, where they write basically a memo or an executive summary of what happened in the class. We call that the curriculum summary. They have to do personal reflection on what they learned, what they carried into the class, what they learned and how they're going to be applying it. And then the biggest piece of that is what we call the artifact. And that's kind of a catch-all term for all kinds of different assignments that depend on the class. And part of the point of these assignments is to expose you to the other members of the cabinet and district operations. So one example of that is in the personnel class, having to meet with whoever's in charge of HR in the district. And the artifacts for that class include writing a, an employee memo, you know, a guidance memo based on the Frisk handbook, as well as suggesting a reorg. How would you think about a reorg, whether you're going to do it or not? And how would you write that reorg suggestion so that it would be read by a superintendent and understandable? by anybody who's reading that. So those artifacts take the most amount of work. And really, they're an example of what you can do in the program and what you're going to do after the program. So it goes back to what Julie was saying about what's immediately applicable. One of Julie's artifacts that is big and also one of the ones that gets applied the quickest is the service catalog. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge piece. A lot of folks that come through the program they may have seen a service catalog, but they don't have an active one in their district. And so creating one can be a, a really big hurdle for them, but that's something that they can post right away. And teachers, staff can immediately use that service catalog. Part of, I think, what we try to do in this program, aside from ensuring that people are intellectually prepared for the role of chief technology officer, is to help them perceive things through different lenses. So there's an awful lot of, I'm not even sure how to say it. It's not like a stallion that you have to break, right? When they don't want to be ridden. But we do spend a bit of time helping people understand that 
there's more than one way to do these things. And situational leadership relies and requires on you having a toolkit that is quite full with different opportunities and different ways of handling a situation. Mm-hmm. So that I think that's the most important thing we can all learn as leaders. And especially if you move from one district to the next district to the next district, you're going to apply your knowledge in different ways based on the organization for which you are working. Doesn't mean one is wrong and the other is right. It just means it's situation. And I think the collaboration and the collegiality within the cohort, the stories that get told, all of that helps to build a three-dimensional prismic version of what the work is. And so it's like, think of it like a Rubik's cube. Okay, well, I'm going to change it and be this way. I'm going to move the pieces around it. And I just think we teach people how to learn. A lot of people never have gone into higher education for themselves. And so now we're helping them to learn how to learn again. And that is powerful. Yeah, I really, really appreciate the way that you stated that. I think one thing as you were speaking, the writing part of it is intense, but it's as you mentioned, you're crafting your work for a different audience in each of the different modes that you're writing. And I think that builds in that perspective that you're talking about. So whether you're doing your curriculum summary or your reflection or your artifact, all of those pieces, or you get a chance to practice the writing in a way with feedback from your mentor giving you feedback, the instructor giving you feedback, and you know, you're know you super supported along the way. And some of it does feel very new and different and hard, but it's a pretty safe space to get that experience and really grow and develop as you're talking about. So we've been hearing some really compelling reasons of why this program is important, what it's offered specifically, Julie and myself, but there's a lot more people that are involved and there are other success stories that come out of it. So Laurel and Andrea, I'd love to ask you a little bit more. What are some other things you've seen in terms of success over the years? And do you have indications of candidates that have moved on to leadership positions? Definitely. I'd say there's three or four each year that they cite the program or they say their boss cited the program and how their employee had changed in the program as a reason for moving up. And oftentimes, even the creation of a new position. That is one of our stated goals, is to have a chief technology officer be part of cabinet in every single district. So there's folks that have gotten that promotion to what is truly a CTO from being instead of an IT manager or something like that, either during or after the program. So I'm particularly excited when I hear that it's happening during the program because almost every single time they are surprised almost, but their bosses are citing that reason. We've seen the change in how you work. And it goes back to, Julie, what you were speaking about earlier, that everything's applicable immediately and it's learning a whole new way to approach the situations that you have at work, how to be flexible, how to truly embody leadership, not just learn leadership as a checklist of things that you need to do as a leader. And the long-term, you know, we hear that this continues after the program. We have somebody who even became an assistant superintendent and there, his superintendent specifically said it was his work through the program and his continuing work afterwards. That's the other interesting piece is when we hear back from former candidates that 
their supervisors or, or their superintendents cited the fact that they've stayed active and involved in the community as part of the reason. It keeps them fresh on the topics. It keeps them going. And I think by seeing an outside commitment like that to professional community, it elevates the person who's graduated already ongoing and long-term. Very similar to the PLNs that we're trying to establish in teaching, only it's for a different kind of community where I think before this program, that community didn't exactly exist in the same way, one that's focused on leadership. Yeah. And I think those friendships develop in the cohort when you start to notice like, oh, I don't really have this skill set. Let me find my table mate or somebody in here who can fill in that gap. And those yeah. those don't stop. Yeah. I was going to say too that in terms of success, so we call it the CTO mentor program. We use the term CTO as kind of a, a catch-all phrase for IT leadership. And, and you may or may not have that title, but some of the success stories also include people who don't end up in those leadership roles. You know, they come into this program thinking that's what they want. And then they realize that their strength is as somebody who supports that IT leader. And that's a success for us too, because now you've, not only have we educated that individual, but they are now someone who doesn't go into an IT lead role and fail because realizing once they're in it, that it's not for them. So we've created lots of support roles too that that I think make a huge difference for that IT leader. Not everybody is successful. Not everybody makes it through the program. It's difficult and it takes a lot of time. And even those who don't make it through still have that, that system of support behind them. And hopefully, you know, if they decide to come back to the program and they're, they're successful later, we always allow that as well. So I have a fun little story to tell if I might. So I get hired in 2008 and I'm accepted into the 2009 cohort. But in 2008, I go to my very first SETPA, as I like to say, SETPA conference. I did not know but one person at this conference. One. Count them one. It was Andrea Bennett. Didn't know a soul. Never been to this conference and had only moved to California 10 years earlier or whatever. Didn't know anybody. So I immediately get into this program and I now have 19 really close friends who have friends and they have friends. And immediately now I know people. Then I end up on the board because of those relationships. And now my circle of friendships and influences has expanded. And then I get on the steering committee. And the point I'm trying to make is that you get what you put into this program, but you also find a safe, healthy space to learn and grow into yourself. Conference for me feels like family reunion. Right. Like, I mean, even just being at the CTO mentor class a couple weekends ago, two of my cohort mates are mentors. So I got to see them there and that was really incredible. And seeing other mentors that were there that I've been to their conference sessions or visited them at their district. I mean, and it does create this wonderful tech family that you have access to. And everyone's so willing to help you. That's the part that's amazing is you reach out when you can offer something, but whenever you need something, there's a whole community there to just share whatever you need right back. 
and a lot of that for me, I definitely was an outsider into the tech world coming out of the classroom and not having the experience or the background. And this was such a good fit. I never once felt out of place. I always felt accepted. I definitely was afraid at times because I, you know, had worries about what I didn't know, but all of that gets filled in when you find people that can support you. I've never had anybody make me feel stupid, which is pretty amazing considering a lot of us get the rap of being a Dilbert, but you could probably edit that. <laughs> yeah, Julie, I was going to say, I really like what you said because I feel like that applies to the entire site community. I mean, it was the same with me, even though I didn't go through the program and not to take away from talking about the CTO mentor program right now, but if anyone is listening and they're not involved in the site community and they're an IT professional in education, I definitely recommend it because yeah, my first site conference, I was with Brie Ford. She was the one who pushed me to go and told me to do all of the activities and get to know people. And I definitely expanded my network in a way I never imagined I would have just by attending the conference. And then her pushing me to teach for the CTO mentor program and all of that. I'm, I'm really glad I did it. Now I work here. So <laughs> it's awesome. I have to give credit where credit is due, our executive director, and now Laurel. But it really was Andrea who laid the foundation for this professional growth program. And I will give Andrea the credit for elevating, starting the party on elevating our role in the school district because. Not everybody sees us as educational leaders. They often see us as gearheads, but Andrea Bennett deserves the credit where the credit is due. And she has brought a vision to life. And Laurel has expanded that vision. And there aren't many people in this world who can say, wow, I made a difference. Thank you, Julie. It's been quite an experience. And I will say, I appreciate the accolades, but I will say that I mean, I've had so many people on the steering committee and, and mentors and instructors. They've all just given their heart and soul to make this program better. And it's just been amazing to watch that happen over and over again. If people leave their egos at the door, they leave their stress at the door, and they come and they talk specifically about what will work for the next round of candidates. And it's I know we're getting a little squishy here, but it, it's true. It's just, that's how we work. We, we want to make sure that it's a really relevant program that helps as many people as we can. So. I think that is important to state because I've always found it odd that you have a formal program related to technology when technology changes so fast. Like, how can you actually stay current and relevant? And now that I'm a little bit more behind the scenes and joining on as an instructor this year, I've be able to see that firsthand, like all the planning and coordination and constant reflection that goes into making this the best possible experience for not only the future candidates, but the current candidates, the adjustments and the considerations that are made to meet the needs of the candidate in front of you at this moment, I think are commendable, especially just even the reactions and adjustments for the pandemic and what you've been able to adjust and adapt and keep the program running. Is there anything, yeah, please, Julie, anything from this past couple of years that's worth highlighting or, or pointing no. out? But <laughs> from the past, other than the fact that we've had like major rock stars across the state, mm-hmm. I think every IT shop in the state of California should get the leadership award, to be very honest. No, I actually wanted to circle back to the dissertation study I did and the why. And the why was it was the third year of the cohort. And I just was so passionate about the success I experienced as well as the people in my cohort experienced. And in education, we're really famous for developing learning programs and never successfully evaluating them. 
knowing whether or not we're actually meeting our stated goals and benchmarks and without a formal way of knowing if we're meeting the goals and objectives of said class. So I felt inspired much to the dismay of many of my professors because they wanted me to do a different kind of study. But I was like, no, this program gave me so much. I have to give back to the program. And so when I did this research, it was simply to prove that there is a return on the investment people and school districts make. And it was through a mixed methods study at that year, we were able to prove a return on investment. There have been subsequent studies for other reasons, but this is a program that is born from research and best practices that is intentional and deliberate. And it's well done and it's research-based. That's important. Very important that people know. On that note, Julie, I think it is important to highlight that a lot of work goes into prepping the instructors on adult learning theory and making sure they understand how to reach the learners that are in front of them. And I think that gets better year after year. And and I love that that's a part of the program. That might be a future dissertation for me. I think so, because you got to remember, most of the instructors are not credentialed teachers. Which is what makes the program so brilliant, right? You're getting the on the ground expert, and then there's a support system to make sure their delivery is most effective. So I'd love to close out our chat today with wrapping up some of these highlights, talking about how people can get involved, and sharing any final thoughts that you'd like to about the program. Well, the best way to get involved is to apply. And our application is open until September 10th. And it's a lengthy application. In fact, we we now have a link where we have a, an application planner so you can actually see the questions and what kind of responses we're looking for because the application is also how the steering committee evaluates your level of writing skill. Every year, there's a couple of folks that put incomplete sentences, fragments, things like that in the application. And I always reach out to them and say, you might want to resubmit this because it, the steering committee is going to reject it if you just fill it out like you would a a survey answer form. And this year, actually, we're excited because this has been a goal for a long time. And Julie can attest to this being on the steering committee. We've always wanted to add a writing component. We ask for candidates to do a lot of writing. We don't teach a lot of writing. And this year, we're actually adding a writing seminar series. So the application is asking for a writing sample of your best work. And that's going to help the instructor, which is going to be Craig Blackburn, help take a look at where candidates start in terms of their writing level. And there'll be a couple of opportunities throughout the year where they meet virtually and they basically workshop some of those artifacts and writing style. Laurel, can you tell us about the nomination process? Yes, it's absolutely critical that you have a nomination when you're applying from an assistant superintendent or a superintendent or the equivalent, because the steering committee uses that as a measure of how much the district is supporting you. And we don't mean just support. I mean, you can have the district pay for the program and the travel, or you can pay for it yourself, but there definitely has to be a level of district support in terms of the assignments that you're doing. You're going to be scanning your own network. You're going to be talking with all those cabinet members and you don't want it to come out of left field in the sense of why does this person keep bugging all my cabinet members? So the question we get asked every year is, 
I'm in a big district. And if my superintendent were to fill out this nomination, it's so many organizational levels above. So that's fine. You know, if it has to be somebody who's other than the superintendent or a direct supervisor, but it definitely counts for more to show because it shows the broader organization support. So there's a nomination form on our website as well, which is www.cite.org, site.org forward slash CTON for CTO Mentor. And all of the information is on there. Awesome. Thank you. Can you also talk a little bit about the timing and location of the program? Yeah. So the biggest component uh, to become certified at the end of the year is to do a 20-minute presentation in front of a peer network on your leadership journey in the program. And that presentation is done the day before the conference begins. So because of that, we always have the class locations follow the conference locations. This year, we're going to be in Sacramento. We ended up doing a hybrid model where most of the classes are online, but some of them were in person this summer and those were held in Sacramento. So next year, the conference will be in Long Beach. And in looking for a Southern California spot, we decided to go with an offer from San Bernardino County Superintendent Schools to use their West End Center in Rancho Cucamonga, which is right near the Ontario airport. So that's where we'll be next year. 2023, we've returned to Sacramento. So we'll be somewhere around here again. And, you know, people often think, oh, it alternates every year. And it usually does. But some years we have two years in Sacramento or two years in Southern California. Just depends on where the conference is located for that year. Awesome. So if someone's on the fence about applying, what would you say to them? I would say if you're on the fence about applying, don't apply because you really have to be committed. You have to have organizational support. Once you do apply and get accepted, the support just keeps on coming, but you do need to have a high level of commitment and a certain level of support from your organization in order to be successful. And I would just tagging on the application process, I would say that you want to, you know, if, if you know people who have graduated and they're willing to write you a letter to say that you would make a good candidate, that's also acceptable to have letters of recommendation. And the classes begin in February and end in October. I have to concur with Andrea, but I would go a step further and just say, begin your reflective writing process and figure out why you're on the fence. Being a leader in an organization is not something that typically happens mindlessly. Sometimes it happens luckily, but because you're exhibiting behaviors that are already demonstrating a leadership posture, if you will. This is not a SANS certificate program. So you're not going to just read some stuff on and then take a test and get your certificate. This is an intentionally rigorous program because there's nothing easy about the work we do. And it's all encompassing. And it was even harder last year. So I have to give a huge shout out to cohort 14 because when the pandemic started, we actually had talked on the steering committee about you know, canceling the program and picking up again in the following year to hear the candidates in cohort 14, what they actually shared is that of anybody, we should be able to adapt and do this online. And so we pivoted to online and it was incredibly hard sitting through 12 hours of class over two days on Zoom, but they did an incredible job. And I'm just so proud of that they were able to speak up for themselves and 
and get through the whole year because it was so tough on top of working 60 hour weeks in sometimes unappreciated roles during the pandemic. However, didn't it provide our leadership, our technology leadership, an insight into all of their teachers' worlds so that perhaps as they led them through this pandemic, they did so with more empathy because of their personal experience. Definitely. Said about that. Definitely. And I would say too, if somebody's considering the program and they're just not sure about it, they definitely can reach out to me, laurel.navatsite.org. And I'm happy to match you with a, a graduate who's willing to talk to you about what it's like and you know what preparation you need. It's such a large supportive community that would be willing to pre-mentor somebody <laughs> even before applying. And sometimes that means, you know, putting it on hold for a couple of years because it's such an intense program. It, there's been times when people have reached out and said, you know, we're starting a family right now. And so I'm going to give it a couple of years and then come back. Or, you know, we're going through a major reorganization at work and it's not the best time. So I'm going to apply next year. And people who are just unsure about it and want to talk to somebody. So definitely reach out to me and I can match you up. And I'd love to say if anybody that's listening has been through the program, congratulations. It's awesome. You're part of the cool kids and hopefully I know you, but maybe there's somebody out there that you know that is starting to excel or show signs of leadership. And I would encourage you to tell them to apply, give them the link to this podcast. Maybe you might be interested in becoming a mentor or an instructor. I mean, there's so many ways to give back once you've been through and the learning just continues. I think that's what's so great and why I want to stay involved is, as Julie mentioned, like we're training lifelong learners and that's something I definitely got out of the program. This is a terminal certification. So the initial certification lasts three years. And after that, you have to recertify annually. And you do that by completing volunteer service in the community, by attending conferences, by completing professional development opportunities. And that in part is what keeps that concept of lifelong learning going as well to keep up that certification. Another way is to just join site. If you aren't ready for the CTO mentor program, join the community, come to the conference, join a regional group, join the online communities and just be part of the discussion and watch for other programs that are being developed. Because I know Laurel has a few things in the works that we're really looking forward to. Any other final thoughts on the program? Just that we are going to be launching in the next year or so a mid-career program to address those who are new to a management role in IT or they're emerging leaders and they're not quite ready for the CTO level or they just don't want to be on a chief technology officer career track. So that's going to be incredibly exciting. We're really looking forward to that. I just want to say thank you again to the ZEDPA site community for being so open to people they don't know and for creating an environment of collegiality and fun and safety for people who didn't naturally come from this community. I always felt like I belonged and it's really cool. And it's because of this program. Julia is a perfect segue into our closer. So I want to thank you. I want to thank Andrea, Laurel, and my 
new co-host Tuda for joining. I love that the group that I normally give a shout out to is here in person with me. So that is super, super fun. And Julie, you already got your moment of airtime, but I'll give you another one if you want it. So in this and how we close the shows, we'd love to give each of our guests a moment for shout outs, gratitude, or appreciation to anybody that you want. So Julie, you may reprise yours or you can have yours already in there. So Andrea, Laurel, anything else you'd like to add? I just want to thank Laurel for her work on this program. I think it's reached even better levels since she took over. And her background and her experience in this kind of thing have really made this program, made a huge difference in this program. So try it. Apply. See if you get in. She'll help you. (laughs) So thanks, Laurel, for all your hard work. I'm blushing. I always blush when she says things like that. (laughs) I want to give a shout out to... The site board of directors, they have taken the stance that no matter what, this program is one of our flagship programs in the site community. And they're supported the program through whatever it's gone through, like with the pandemic, it's just been fantastic. And I also want to give a shout out to our mentors. They put a lot of work into this program and a lot of them come back year after year. And I really appreciate the fact that they're willing to put in so much additional work. Because not only do they meet with the candidates, they're reviewing all the assignments, they're taking random calls outside of their scheduled mentoring times, they show up to the conference as well to support their candidates. It's just a really incredible effort, and I appreciate them, and I appreciate that they keep coming back. Can I add one to my Please. Because I, I want to, I mean, I was sort of probably flippant, but I didn't mean to be. The technology community for the last 16 months has done Herculean efforts to make sure our students can still learn. And I think we were more successful in this weird time of pandemic because so many of us have had this course of study and have been successful and that we have this community from which to draw on. So thank you everybody in California who's doing this work. Keep up the good work. Take good care of yourselves. And if you haven't found a formal study program, sign up for this one. You won't regret it. So we have one final question for you. And again, I got to give credit to Jamie because she's the one who comes up with these because I, I couldn't come up with half as great of scenarios as she does. But would you rather always hit all red lights for the rest of your life or always get really slow internet? Can't stream much after the sun goes down. I would definitely take red lights (laughs) because if I know I'm going to hit all the red lights, I can prepare myself for that, but I got to have my TV. (laughs) So smart. Find all those right turns. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Julie, what about you? This is a hard one for me because I really hate red lights, hate red lights. So I tend to go out and not get red lights. On the other hand, I'm thinking that come the day I retire, I won't need the internet. So yeah, but right now I'm with Andrea. No, I'll ride my bike to avoid red lights, but I won't give up my internet. (laughs) All right, Laurel, what about you? I'll take the slow internet. I've had it most of my life from the days when I was (laughs) dial up. (laughs) I hate driving and I absolutely cannot stand red lights. So I like books and... I'll take the books. And if I had slow internet, that's one more reason to not be browsing Reddit. So (laughs) 
That's awesome. JB, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to need the internet. I'll find a student group that can program something to get me green lights. That's what I was thinking as you were talking. I'm like, we're the tech team. Like, we can find a way around this. <laughs> I will game, yeah. I will game then, my own then, game. But then we'd have to, like, notify the city or the county that we just hacked their lights. And that right. Yes. True. And yeah. Laurel, I just realized why we get along so well. You and I are cut from a very same cloth. <laughs> yeah, I definitely chose the red lights. I also hate red lights and Andrea will tell you after riding with me in Sacramento, I kind of have some road rage, but, uh, I still would take the red lights because I would just be angry. Cause I, yeah, I watched, what were we talking about in the last podcast? Cutting the cord. <laughs> Who says that anymore? But yeah, everything I do is streamed and through the internet. So I don't think I could do slow internet. And plus we work remotely. So Andrea and Laurel will tell you how frustrating it is when we're in our staff meeting and my internet in Redlands cuts out. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I will definitely take the good internet. Well, that is our show, everyone. Thank you so much. I hope you all learned a lot about the CTO Mentor Program, some great reasons why you should apply or get involved and have an awesome day, everyone. Thank you so much. Bye.